you may be able to make a valid argument um, for that bug by setting um, AC to high and and then you know moving forward. So I see. So what you're telling me is all of my blind XSSs that haven't popped are attack complexity high. No, Joel, that's not the, <laughs> the system being vulnerable is not one of the <laughs> conditions. They just the haven't attacker. clicked it yet, dude. Oh it's my <laughs> god, Joel, please. What's up, everyone? This is Renerator popping in to remind you to set your CVSS integrity to high by subscribing to our YouTube channel at Critical Thinking Podcast. Drop us a follow on Twitter at CTBB Podcast and like, subscribe, whatever it is you do on your podcast app of choice so you never miss an episode. Hope you guys enjoy the show. All right. Well, I guess we'll start off with news today then, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Let's do it. All right. Um Let's see. We got... Let's, let's start with the uh, NTLM hash leaking thing. Um, so MDSEC, MDSEC labs, which I have not actually heard of before, uh, released a write-up for a CVE that they found, um, in Outlook. Outlook I almost yeah. said exchange, but it's, it's Outlook. <laughs> for um, once. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and this is not particularly relevant to Book Bounty, I don't feel, but also it, it, I think is is just a really good example of an attack vector for looking at actual desktop applications and looking at Microsoft's Outlook. So from the perspective of you're hacking on Microsoft's program, I think it could be a really good, um, a really good you know write up to read. Uh, essentially, what happened here was they were reading, and I love how if you look at this write up, like literally in the docs, it's like. Uh, they are in the the write up. They have like a screenshot from the docs that says specifies the file name of a sound that the client should 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 <laughs> play. And this just goes back to the precept that we've talked about time and time again of like, you got to read the freaking documentation because sometimes there are bugs just sitting in there waiting to be found that you could literally just control F for. Yeah, like I mean, it's so fun. It's like literally written in the docs. Like it's yeah yeah. I I remember I remember the first live hacking event I went to. Um, there was 20 minutes left in the live hacking event. This was Washington, D.C. And Schmeagles, a legend, <laughs> was like, you know what? I'm going to go read the documentation <laughs> with the last 20 minutes left. He literally went to the documentation for the, the target we were looking for. Control F for URL. Found the first one, put it in there, and it was an SSRF. A full That's read so SSRF funny. at the event. And he submitted it within the within the, you know last 20 minutes of the event so. so crazy definitely bugs to be found there um this one i don't i don't think is particularly um like i said applicable to the bug bounty world you, it's normally frowned upon to send an email at all in the bug bounty world so please do not do that just to be clear everyone do not do that um this is an exercise of what it looked like to find a cool bug on outlook read the documentation they used um a dotnet message kit library um, to craft the correct file um, that they would need to exploit this and then send that message along. Um, and then when opened by Outlook, um, it, it would trigger the UNC path, which is an attack vector that we talked about before because it came up in a, in a past live hacking event, is like, if you have any way to make a desktop application open a specified uh, file path on Windows, then you can leak the uh, NTLM v2 hash. Um, and I think that's, 
I think I personally think that that's quite impactful. Um, it, it certainly, from a CVSS perspective, it affects confidentiality. Um, and also, there's lots of other attack directors if you're on the internal network, um, because you can just relay that authentication to a different um, to a different system, and then you know gain access to further credentials or gain access to that system. So definitely a cool attack vector to be thinking of if you're looking at um, if you're looking at desktop applications. Yeah, I mean, it's a super, super dope. I, I feel like it's one of those books that you read through and you're like, dang, I probably could have found that if I was <laughs> looking yeah, at it. Yeah, in like but, 10 minutes, you know, like. Yeah, but, it's you crazy. know, uh, yeah. the the key factor being you have to be looking at it. You got to be looking, man. And that's that's kind of what I'm telling everyone with the with the, uh, with the the World Cup as well is like, you just, sometimes you just got to put in the time, man. Um, tweeted about it earlier, but I've got some of the guys on my team that are, that are great. And they're look out there. They're looking for the right stuff. They're doing the right things. There's no reason to justify, you know, them not finding bugs, uh, besides the fact that they're moving on too quickly and not diving deep enough and getting to those endpoints that are a little bit harder to reach. And so I, I told them, you know, let's, let's dive, let's take another step deeper. Let's put at least 16 hours into a specific part of an application or a specific application before we move along. Um, and if you don't have anything interesting after 16 hours, then maybe it's just not the target for you. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we can talk about World 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 Cup in a little bit. Let's um, yeah. Let's finish the news and then we can we can okay. definitely let's discuss that because we brought it up. All right. What, what have we got? Uh, we got. A ha let's jump down to the Snapchat report. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. I mean. That? Yeah, I feel like Snapchat a couple of years ago was definitely like really popping off in the bug bounty scene because they yeah. had uh, they had a couple different Jenkins instances oh and stuff gosh. that were open that were that were paying some crazy bounties back in the day. Yeah. Um, but uh, they are in the Hacker One feed again um, because there was somebody found a really, 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 really simple iDoor where it's <laughs> literally just a numeric iDoor and you you're able to uh, you're able to delete. Um, anybody's content off of their spotlight. Yeah, no, very, very impactful. Um, I'm actually kind of, I'm looking at their their bounty brief. I'm kind of surprised I don't hear about them more often. Like, I feel like no one's looking at Snapchat. And uh, the, uh, they've only got 32K bounties paid in the last 90 days, and 15K of it was that one bug. <laughs> so I think I think we might be sleeping on Snapchat. And, and uh yeah, so there could be some good scope here for sure. 4K minimum on mediums? Yeah, it's pretty wild. I mean, Dang. so the one thing I will say is that Snapchat's security team is pretty strong. Oh, yeah. Um, they, I, I'd say probably one of the biggest reasons that you don't see a ton of bugs on them is that their mobile app is very, very hardened. Oh, is um, it? So as a result, you can do barely any like hooking or proxying or any of that kind of stuff without throwing off their signature signing algorithm Oof. that happens on every single request that goes out so oh do they do they do that that's such a pain man <laughs> yeah and it's signed in a native library and the native library does like anti-hook checks and all sorts of stuff so oh my gosh that's it, i mean Snapchat has a massive bot problem so they did a lot of anti-botting yeah. features like anti-botting features and stuff that end Would up stopping security research stuff. yeah yeah no. no that makes sense uh, do you know if they're using safety net they were, yeah, yeah. I were mean, they? that's one of the reasons why I know so much about safety net is because, yeah, back in the day I used to write Snapchat bots. So I was, I was, I was really surprised when. You, so I hit Joel up the other day. Normally I can nerd snipe Joel real easy and just be like, "Hey, Joel, this looks impossible to to solve." You know, like, 
wouldn't it be crazy if somebody solved it? <laughs> and then Joel will just like deep dive and come up with a solution. So I was like, I think, let me go read the DM. Hold on. Let me see if I can pull it up. I think I said something along the lines of like, hey, Joel, I think this is actually impossible to to hook with Frida or something like that. And and your response was like, yeah, yeah, it's real hard. Yeah. And I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, so all the safety net stuff is like, for those who don't know, safety net is essentially it's an attestation uh, library tool that's built into Android, and it allows you to generate these attestations that are signed at a like a kernel like system level that ha have a lot of different attributes about like the device. And it's uh, originally, I believe, it was meant for like profile matching, where basically like you want a certain device yeah. profile to be able to use your app meaning that it has access to certain features and it's not compromised in certain ways and if it meets that criteria then you allow them to log in by verifying the attestation on the server side the problem is that that also gets used for like anti-rooting anti-hooking all that kind of stuff because it's it's a very good library for detecting that kind of stuff and yeah. as a result if you verify it on the server side there's basically no bypass because can't bypass the server side check so um snapchat has been using attestations for quite a while um like i said i used to write snapchat bots back in the day so that's how i'm so familiar with all this kind of stuff <laughs> we uh we did spend some time and we reverse engineered um the safety net stuff down to like a level where we could generate a lot of it programmatically and then it's just a cat and mouse game like at a certain point they just keep updating it and they keep adding more checks and you have to keep trying to reverse engineer them and bypass those checks and you it's the grind they, they can do it way faster than you can so yeah it's uh it's definitely quite difficult they also use this uh this mobile security company who used to be i don't, I don't know what they're called now i think they rebranded but they used to be called arxan um and they were using them for quite a while to secure their native libraries from hooking and tamper Jeez. detection and all that kind of stuff so i would guess that is probably why their submissions are so low is just because the barrier to hacking is like really really high to actually like find vulnerabilities without t triggering their anti-tamper stuff um yeah. but if you could get past that yeah and you and could get some requests going through your burp without triggering their anti-tampering yeah. uh, then you'd probably find some cool bugs in this in this specific report though it it's just they go through their website my yep. my snapchat.com so maybe they're they're expanding a little bit into the web you know scope a little bit more and there might be some vulnerable endpoints out there because i'm seeing also um story.snapchat.com so there it seems like there's some decent functionality in a in a web app not necessarily like one of those programs where it's just a mobile app so definitely yeah. could be something to look into yeah actually within the last I want to say within the last six to 12 months, they announced Snapchat web, which is literally, oh, really? it's a, it's a web-based version of Snapchat. Um, and you can do like a lot of the same features that you can on the app, but through the web. So my guess is that one, that attack surface is kind of ripe. And yeah. two, they're probably not doing the same level of security stuff that they are on the mobile app just because they can. Mm. Um, yeah. So if you could figure that out again, you might find some really dope bugs. Really cool stuff there. And and one of the things I wanted to talk to you about this, uh, you know, on the same topic was I got an email. I signed up for um, uh, the Bug Bounty Explained uh, stuff from, I'm going to butcher this guy's name. Yeah, I'm not even going to try. I'm sorry, dude. Um, but the guy that does uh, Bug Bounty Reports Explained, and he dropped an email um, outlining IDORs. And like he went and analyzed 187 different reports um, and like sorted them into different categories, pulled statistics on bounty, 
pulled statistics on what type of ID was being used, um, you know, all that stuff, and put it into this like newsletter that he sent out. And I just I love stuff like this. I get, totally get off on stuff like this with all this data and like analytics on on vulnerabilities. So um, that was the first uh, newsletter of his that I actually sat down and read, and I was really impressed with it. Um, so definitely, I think he's pushing out some really awesome content. So go check that out if you're interested in, in getting that delivered to your, your inbox every once in a while. Yeah, it's super cool to see that kind of data. Um, yeah. I think like a really data-driven approach to bug bounties is kind of a good idea. Just yeah. get an understanding for what are other people finding? How are they finding it? What are the common attack scenarios? Because you'll find that many, many times. Bugs are basically the same thing, just copy-pasted on a different program. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Oh, dude, I actually just clicked back to the uh, the IDOR, and mandatory works for Snapchat. He Did does. Did you know that? Yep. Yep. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, is yeah, that yeah. where he went from after Uber? Uh, he went there, then he left. He did a startup with some of my buddies, and then okay. he left the startup, and he went back to Snapchat. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Nice. I'm good. To, glad to see his face back in the community there. That's, yeah. that's fun. Did you notice that Ape Pfeiffer's there, too? Who, really? Yeah, really. I haven't seen that guy in couple Dang, years they do have yeah. a built team don't they yeah they have a pretty dope team i, I, I think i actually almost <laughs> joined there too <laughs> jeez yeah then you could get on the inside and like see all the places where your 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 bots were getting foiled i know i know for real i was serious I incentive. Done it. all right cool so let's see what else we got on here um oh okay this is just going to be a quick little rant so let me just talk about jubob's tweet um talked about jubob a couple times on the uh, on the podcast before he tweeted out the other day in most cases described as user enumeration you can only ask uh yes or no questions essentially about whether some email addresses exist in the system in such cases i would encourage you to favor the term user existence oracle which is more precise totally agree with this take i don't think a user existence oracle is a vulnerability um, I do think a user enumeration vulnerability, which is one that allows you to either iteratively or just all in one big chunk, disclose all of the users signed up for a service. I do think that is more of a vulnerability. Um, what, do you, what do you think about that, Joel? Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of those great bugs that you can use to chain with another yeah. bug. So yeah, sure. say you have a password reset bug or a mm -hmm. account takeover, but you need to know the user's username or you need to know an account that exists or you mm -hmm. need to know an account that doesn't exist. Um, that's a bug that I've had a couple of times. This would be a great bug for proving that where the team could easily say, well, how do you know that an account exists? How do you know an account doesn't exist? Mm -hmm. Well, here's another bug that I found that shows it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think you can also use it in some cases, um, you know, to determine what what kind of direction you want to go with um you know like for example if it leaks a user id or something like that um that can be really helpful uh for for you know validating other attacks so definitely cool thing i don't i don't know man i feel like user existence oracle is a little bit wordy i might just say user oracle um yeah but i like i like the the concept so i wanted to shout it out um, yeah yeah i think user oracle is probably a little more concise but um but either way, I think it's a good distinction to be making and it'll help improve your bugs and, and sort of let you chain that stuff together. You Now that you mentioned, I was actually thinking, um, I have seen in the past where if you get like an endpoint that you give like an email or something and it mm. errors out and it'll be like, you don't have access to user ID. And then they just put... Yeah, yeah. and the errors. Sometimes it yeah. pops up like that. Good to keep an eye out for, for sure. Yeah, those error messages are always, always very leaky. 
another another tweet that popped up this week that kind of caught my fancy was uh, anytime James Kettle tweets anything, you know, I, I jump right on that. I think he is one of the few people that that like actually tweets. Yeah, I do. I have I have tweet notifications turned on for mm-hmm. him because he's not like you know. There are some people out there that push out some really quality <laughs> tweets, but they also like respond to every message, you know, yeah. and and stuff like that. So you can't you can't you know put on tweet notifications for them, but for James, uh, I definitely do. And um, and he posted, uh, he tagged Hacker One, Bug Crowd, and Integrity, and said, "Hey, why are we not regulating? Why are we not standardizing what it looks like to have a HTTP header that that um, you know identifies a specific uh, ethical hacker to an organization um, so that they can easily search that in the IP logs?" I thought that was a great idea. And then Alex Chapman down below just kind of says, um, you know. Uh, he, he dropped a, a take on one of the one of the programs out there does uh, you know where you check in and I, I think that's another way to deal with the deal with the problem but I, I really liked the the recommendation further down in the comments that that says this can also help with verification if you like put a a um, you know uh, a key out there or you sign the header with something to prove that it's you um, I think that could be really cool to prevent you know black hats from putting you know, X dash ethical hacker colon renerator in their header and uh, right. and impersonating me and then also you know dodging some logs when they're actually doing some sketchy stuff. Yeah, I mean, I would love to see more standardization across the bug bounty yeah. programs in general, or sorry, the platforms in general. Yeah, um, I think that there's a lot of room where they could be working together instead of competing um, mm. and making things better for the whole community. But I think a lot of it gets sort of caught up in corporate politics and yeah, whatnot. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that definitely does happen. Which probably brings us to our next topic, aka CV- CVSS, right? <laughs> let's, oh. let's talk about like improving s- structural parts of the bug bounty Jeez, reporting man. process. Like CVSS yeah. is probably one of the most flawed uh, systems that they have. I see so many programs that rely entirely on CVSS as like their their entire system for paying out bounties and determining severity. And it's like, what? I don't know a single company that has a threat model that's one-to-one with CVSS. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I don't know, man. I kind of, like, I have a love-hate relationship with CVSS. Like, like anything else, it's got problems, and thus we can hack it. So there are some scenarios where it's like, all right, this attack um, is largely a, let's say, an availability-based attack, right? We're we're dosing an account or something like that, but it also like leaks a little bit of information, right? Um, and so there's definitely ways, you know, and that that would give a bump on the on the CVSS score due to it affecting the confidentiality um, metric. And so I think there's also some other ways you can creatively sort of chain attacks together to try to gain higher impact um, in the in the CVSS scoring system. So I think the the companies like yeah I'll just shout them out because everyone knows already uh, PayPal and and Shopify they they stick very closely to CVSS. Um, I think a lot of times you can work that to your advantage. So I don't I don't mind it quite as much when they do that, but also. The it's the it's the times when the programs downgrade it below CVSS when they feel like it and then stick to CVSS when you can't get it any higher. That's that's annoying. Yeah, hundred percent. Maybe this is one of those things that you have a little more context and insight on as a full time hacker. Yeah. What are like the most 
like ripe areas that you can just like increase availability, for example, or something from sure, like sure. none to yeah. That's a good question, man. Let me think on that. Um, well, one of the ones that comes to to mind is the privilege required. So one, you can a lot of times you can just. Uh, argue with the team about that and say like, Hey, if it's a self sign up account, it shouldn't be PR low. Um, there is evidence for that in, uh, the standard. If you read it, I had a long debate with a, uh, hacker one triager on Twitter one time about this. And I was pretty happy with the results. I think, I think I found some, some evidence, you know, in the, in the standard that really supports my position of self sign up accounts being PR none instead of PR low. Um, so that's one way, but also if it is actually PR low, and, and um, you know, the, the company has already established, hey, the self-sign-up accounts are PR low, we're not budging on that. Then sometimes you can actually um, fudge it a little bit and try to get your attack to be used. So there are some hybrid states sometimes in web applications, which I think are really cool, where like you're a guest, but they like issued you like this guest account so that you can check out or something like that, or like some ghost account somewhere so that it can save your preferences or something like that. And then in the flow later, it converts it to a full account. One, those are great spots to attack anyway, because anytime, you know, they're signing up for an account without actually having an account and you're getting a different account type, then that's a great place to look. But also those ghost accounts, um, you may be able to weaponize those much easier. You might be able to just get hit an endpoint and get a cookie and use those to hit some of the other endpoints that would result in your bug. So that's definitely one way to do it. Nice. Yeah, no, I think that's um, that's a super interesting way to look at it. I, I feel like I totally agree with you. Like mm. self sign up, uh, it's like, listen. It, it, <laughs> I don't know why we're debating this anymore in the industry. I really don't. I mean, it's like... Nothing is stopped. Like the same amount of nothing that's stopping me from doing an unauthenticated account is what's stopping me from signing up and then doing that request. Like it's exactly. there's no barrier. The barrier is just one extra step that requires me to do something for free with no verification, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. And and there are some scenarios I think where companies will say, and this is this is another one of the ones that you might be able to get around. But there are scenarios where a company will say, hey, if you have to verify your email then that is PR low. And so sometimes you can get PR none by signing up for an account with not a verified email and accessing the same functionality and then kind of rolling with it that way. So there's definitely some ways to, to eke it out. Um, one of the other things that I kind of wanted to shout out since we're talking about CVSS is the attack vector um, uh, metric, which for most of my career as a bug bounty hunter, I've just kind of been selecting network and moving on. Um, <laughs> But as I started looking a little bit more at like hardware devices and stuff like that, um, I noticed that there are these adjacent network, local, and then um, physical um, sort of uh, sections as well. And they don't actually decrease the impact of the vulnerability super much. So if you have you know, a company that, that does CVSS um, for their ratings and you, know, you have their physical devices that you can look at, um, you know, you can make a strong argument for a, a decently scored um, vulnerability based off of, you know, selecting these metrics, r realizing, you know, telling the company to realize that there are accommodations already made in the standard for this um, and, you know, kind of selling it that way. Because, um, and that's something I, I mean, like I said, I've been doing bounty for five, six years and I just found out about that within the last like year so. Yeah, yeah, I think that, um, it reminds me there's a, there's CVSS three extended, I think it's called, which is like, it's huh. like extra layers on top of CVSS ah, to try yeah, and make yeah, it more yeah. specific. And 
it's one of those things that like if you were to do it for every single bug you would probably go insane because yeah it's so much effort and work and being like is this which category does this fall under and Mm -hmm. like all that kind of stuff where it should be just like look at what the impact of this bug is is it a high or crit you know what i mean um but i don't know i just feel like it's trying to make something fit like every scenario that can't fit every scenario you know what i mean just like leave it as it is and yeah you know i feel that i i I also um i won't mm, i tweeted about the program so if you really want to be a sleuth then you can go figure it out who it is but there's a specific program that doesn't use a platform um that i hack on from time to time and uh they do not use this they use the owasp rating system and (laughs) i it is impossible to get a critical vulnerability in that in that system like it literally is like there's there's just like you could be holding you know you could be in their bank account transferring money away and this would be a medium like That's it's kind of nuts man so you know I, I i was a big hater on cvss um for for a while and then i i went and saw the alternatives and i was like you know what cvss ain't so bad now that <laughs> now that i come to think of it so um oh this is super wild I'm just looking into this. This is the first I've, oh, I don't think OWASP I've ever one, even heard of yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's not super popular. Thank goodness. But um, yeah, I definitely like CVSS more. Um, the other thing, let's see, what, what else, what else are, are there ways to escalate the CVSS? The, the other thing is the attack complexity um, piece I think is, is misunderstood a lot and it's helped me make some pretty good arguments for vulnerabilities that are sort of, I believe are dangerous, but are also sort of on the fringe of whether they are, you know, accepted in a bug bounty program or not. Um, And the whole concept behind uh, attack complexity is this metric meant to impact the vulnerability score based off of whether there is some condition outside of the attacker's control that needs to be in place. Um, and so, for example, if you are missing, you know, a piece of the equation or something like that, you may be able to make a valid argument um, for that bug by setting um, AC to high and, and then, you know, moving forward. So I see so what you're telling me is all of my blind XSSs that haven't popped are attack complexity high. No, Joel, that's not the, <laughs> the system being vulnerable is not one of the <laughs> conditions. They just the haven't clicked it yet, dude. Oh, my <laughs> God, Joel, please. Um, what I, let me give an example for this so that the community doesn't misunderstand what I'm trying to say here. Uh, okay, okay. So actually, this is a great. So um, you may have seen on Twitter the the um, the uh, Rezo talking about uh, UUID IDORs. Um, props to Rezo for that. Thank you for taking the flag and leading the troops <laughs> and making the case for UUID IDORs because I do think that there is absolutely a, um, a large impact to those. And we've seen time and time again on programs that use um, UUIDs, they've got like metric endpoints that like dump all of the UUIDs. And then like once an attacker compromises that, if an attacker goes to that page once and, and sees that, now they've got all the IDs and they can, I mean, those things don't expire, especially when it's, you know, you know, objects that are permanent in the system. So they can go back and utilize those. And yeah. So anyway, without going on a whole rant, if you're having trouble with a team, um, you know, about UUID IDOR, one uh, way that you could approach that is by setting attack complexity to high. Your severity will take a hit for that, for sure. Um, but I also think it's sort of fair because the exploitation scenarios for UUID IDORs are substantially less than... Um, 
you know, innumerable IDORs, innumerable ID IDORs. Um, so that's another argument that I've made um, utilizing CVSS in my favor as an, uh, an attacker, which that, that's kind of like the thing that I wanted to talk about with this, with this session was like how a lot of times when we submit a bug, we see it get downgraded and we get disappointed. What are the ways that we can utilize CVSS to make a, a good argument for our bugs to be accepted in a bug bounty context? So hopefully um, some of the tips we drop um, you know, will we'll sort of help with that. What, one of the things I, I will say though, and Joel, maybe you've got a better um, perspective on this than I do, is I still don't fully understand scope. Do you understand scope in CVSS? Yeah, um, so I think it's meant to be like, does this breach across systems? Meaning like, do I get like, if originally I would have access to one thing, does my scope of access increase as a result of this bug? Like, do I get access to um, like another user's bank account if I could only know they mm. exist or something? Yeah, I, like, like, I don't know, because it says, and, and I quote, about changed in scope. In this case, the vulnerable component and the impacted component are different. And I've seen, and I know you're supposed to set scope to changed on XSSs um, because it, you know, there's a browser component, that's, that's the, the impacted component, and then the vulnerable component is the web application. Um, but outside of that, like, what if I've got, like, a bug that allows me to, or, or, or blind XSS is a great example. You know, blind XSS would that, I mean, that would be scope change for sure, right? Yeah, for sure. Because, like, if it's triggering on, like, an admin panel in the back end or something like that, then that's totally different. Right. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, I think that's the way that I would view it. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, like, one of those weird things where it, it was probably created for a specific reason. Like, there was – I'm sure they had a specific something in mind when they were, like, mm -hmm. we need to add scope into the CVSS score. Yeah. I'm just not really sure what it was and why it was such a thing that – made it so it's in like the main factors of a cvss i don't know um yeah on the topic of uuids real quick um yeah. so uber use used uuids mm. um and that was something that came up a lot in our bug bounty program when i worked there where oftentimes people would submit an idor and it would be like well it's a uuid it's uuid so do you yeah. have a, a, like a user id yeah. oracle I remember or something being on the receiving side of that <laughs> message yeah so i think like i definitely see both sides of it I think from an mm -hmm. engineering perspective, like it's very easy to argue like you can't enumerate IDORs or sorry, right. you can't enumerate UUIDs. So yeah. you need some other way. However, that being said, like we talked about user existence Oracle or mm -hmm. a UUID getting leaked in an error message mm -hmm. or uh, email to UUID, mm -hmm. like very simple IDOR that doesn't give any info, but their id right like right. any of those types of things you could chain into a much more severe bug by taking your idor that has a uuid and now removing the uuid mitigating factor right yeah. and now you've just raised your severity significantly yeah yeah for sure and, and that's a great reason to keep you know these uuid enumeration um sort of idors in your pocket and be able to use them you know at different times the most convincing argument that i've heard though for engineering in that scenario is is that what if I took that UUID and I put it in an authorization bearer or put it as your session token, right? Then, then you know, it would just be like you're swapping cookies and that's not a bug. 
And I was like, okay, okay, wait, wait a second though. Like that sort of makes sense, but I, it's not doing it for me. Like, and, and the reason for that, and I'll, let me explain the reason for that. Let me explain the reason for that. The reason for that is that these IDs are not treated like sensitive material, right? They're treated like IDs and they're put in URLs and they're put, you know, in logs and stuff like that. So I, I don't necessarily think that this, you know, that it, that that argument follows all the way through, because you know you, your threat model isn't surrounded around protecting IDs. Okay, there it is. It came out. That, that's what I've been meaning to say this whole time. Your threat model isn't built around protecting these IDs and these being sensitive pieces of information. So you shouldn't treat them like they are. Does that make sense? Right. Right. Yeah. No. One hundred percent. Like. Severity should be basically impact, right? Yeah. Like that, that, that's the way that I view it. And, and I think that's how most programs should do it. Like CVSS is a semi-proxy to mm. allow you to determine like impact to some generic extent. Yeah. However, it should really be like, what does it mean within your company? Yeah. Like if you work at Uber, what does it mean for someone's UUID to be leaked? Did, like, mm. can they access that full user's object? Can they just log in as that user? Like, what does it mean within the context of uber it doesn't matter like is this a uuid like are uuids brute forcible okay so what it doesn't matter right mm -hmm. like are your uuids brute forcible right like right. is there an oracle that makes it so i can idor any account regardless of the fact that you're using a uuid right? it mm -hmm. doesn't matter if the mitigating factor is there if it doesn't actually do anything yeah right? no absolutely yeah Man, I, I don't know. I, like, I think we've we've highlighted. I hope we've done a good job of representing the highs and the lows of CVSS. Um, We're gonna I, have fifteen different programs that are email inboxing. I know, being man. <laughs> this CVSS is a is very good. controversial topic. I remember, you know, I'm not one to really like get in the Twitter wars, but like, when I did get in that Twitter war about CVSS, I was like, in the weeds with it, man. Like, I I don't know. There, there's definitely yeah, you're in the docs some... like pulling up the, the yeah, official man. definition it was i mean it was like i was having a debate with my wife or something you know <laughs> <laughs> um but no um one one other on the on the topic of gripes with with cvss i did have one more thing that i wanted to say though um i'm a little frustrated by the impact metrics so confidentiality uh, integrity uh, availability only having two settings low and high I think there should be maybe two settings and then a modifier, and, and here, here's why. Because, so say you've got a scenario where you, let me pull an old bug that doesn't exist anymore out of the hat. Say you've got an XSSI, okay? You include a script, that script is dynamically generated, and it leaks to you three pieces of information. The user's name, email, and phone number, right? Okay? That is a user interaction required bug, so it's not something that, um, you know, affects users arbitrarily. If it was an IDOR that leaked those same pieces of information, I would make an argument for confidentiality high because it, it affects every single user in the system. But it's confidentiality low um, it, because it's just, uh, you know, it requires user interaction, affects the one user, not mass exploitable. Now, let's say you had a different bug, a bug that was an IDOR that affected all users and leaked credit card information, mm. right? That's a, I think there should be, a, you know, that's a super high, that's a super, you know, high impact confidentiality, confidentiality impact bug there. Um, and so I think there should be a modifier on these to be whether this component, this um, impact metric is impacted at a scale across the application um, or whether it's, it's just localized to the specific user. 
Um, and yeah, I don't think user interaction required fully fully cuts that, you know, does that well enough to, to you know, warrant all scenarios. Um, so it would be great if there was another modifier for those metrics, I think. Yeah, I think it's one of those things that like you could certainly spin it to be like user interaction is required, but you could also yeah. spin it so that it like, what do you count as user interaction and yeah. like, where do you draw that line? Yeah. yeah. Like it's super, it's super fuzzy where it's like high, low, none. Like yeah. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And I was hoping to see some of these problems fixed with CV SS uh, version 3.1, but um, you know, is that knows? when they added the extended fields or um, I'm looking right now. I see. So I think it's called, I, maybe we're talking about different things, but I'm seeing environmental score. Is that the thing you're talking about? I think that might be what it is. Yeah. Yeah. So actually maybe I should sit down and, and, you know, look at all these different things that they've added to the environmental score and, and stuff like that. See if anything's changed substantially because, um, yeah, I guess I have not super well acquainted with CVSS 3.1 because hacker one uses CVSS three. Um, yeah. It's the temporal and the environmental metric groups. Those okay. are the additional ones I believe that are like, report confidence confidentiality confidentiality required availability required base metric modif modifications like, yeah man that would be a like... lot of forms to to click i, I think even now I, i'm I, oftentimes i just use the you know low severity medium yeah. severity, high severity critical severity rating on hacker one and don't go through the whole thing for the cvss just because it's really i mean it's a lot of buttons to click for sure it's a lot of buttons yeah. It's exhausting. It's like, I shouldn't have to be the, like, it should be pretty yeah. obvious. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, this feels like a crit. Why? Because it's a crit. I don't, what do you, it's like, leaking it's credit so, card information. Yeah, like, know? this is a critical. Yeah. I think anybody who worked as a company would be able to be like, that's bad. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So, I don't know. I feel very conflicted about it. I, I see both sides for sure. Yeah. So, those are the takes on, on CVSS. Um, just to, to summarize real quick, um, you know, we talked about using attack complexity to your advantage. Um, we talked about trying to pivot privilege required low to privilege required none through two techniques. One, through talking to the team about what PRL actually means, and then also through uh, using guest accounts or ghost accounts to pivot um, you know, privilege required into none rather than low. Um, we talked about what scope means, which is new for me. I, I appreciated that, that little um, explanation there, Joel. Um, and yeah, also we talked about the attack vector metric um, and you know using that to your advantage when you're hitting um, the physical applications or the physical devices. So definitely keep all those in mind when you're rating your vulnerabilities. Yeah, that uh, that's also something that comes and bites you a lot with mobile vulnerabilities. Mm. With the like the the access required is often like local or physical. Yeah, because like you need like an app or something like that that's on the device, or you, like you have to pick up somebody's phone in a coffee shop, and it's like they're really bad bugs, mm -hmm. and they're not like outside of the realm of like possibility. It's just that like when you start to put it into the system that isn't really designed for like mm -hmm. all of these bugs, it yeah you get some kind of weird results. Yeah, and but like from a mobile app perspective, what is your uh, your threat model for a mobile app. I mean, besides like them coming to a page, clicking a link and then it, you know, using deep links, kind of like we talked about on the deep link episode. Um, there's not really a network 
vector because it's not like they have like public IPs or anything like that. They're on a local network or they're on a cellular network or you need to get your hands on it or hit it by a Bluetooth or something yeah. like that. So. Well, there is that bug that I talked about, right? So like the Shopify bug that I found where ah, you yeah, have to true. intercept somebody's traffic on the local network. Mm. That's kind of an instance. But um, yeah, a lot of the time it would be like either no access or maybe yeah. like physical access, physical access with like a bank if you bypass their pin or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, for yeah. sure. All right. I think that covers most of the news topics in the CVSS. Um, you want to talk about some reports? Sure. Yeah. So this is a, <laughs> I, I teased you with this a little bit. Yeah, dude, um, I want to hear this. I'm excited <laughs> for this. Okay. So here, here's the story. Basically, um, Fisher, Fisher and I, Fisher, amazing hacker. Mm, we were, uh, we were having a totally unrelated conversation. Um, I won't go into the details, but basically, um, I like had lent him some cash. He paid mm. me back via PayPal. Um, and when he sent me the payment back, he was like, uh, not a payload or whatever, like in his message or mm -hmm. whatever. And he just put like, you know, some curly braces and, uh, and I saw it in my inbox and I was like, oh, that's funny. Okay, whatever. And then, uh, you know, hour or two later, I like go, I'm like sitting on the toilet, just like scrolling through my phone, As looking, through my <laughs> looking through my notifications. And I see a notification on my phone. It says you received, you know, X dollars from, from Fisher. And underneath it, it says not a payload, 66 <laughs> instead of, oh. <laughs> instead of <laughs> 33 times two. <laughs> and Snap. I was like, Oh, oh shit. And so like literally in the, in the report, the first image is me messaging Fisher going, dude, holy shit. It popped. It worked. <laughs> dude, that's and I, so clutch. And I sent him two screenshots. So we pulled in, um, we were like really messing with this because we weren't sure where it was triggering. We weren't sure if this was on the phone or if it was Yeah, was it a notification a you said? Yeah, so it was That's a notific. It was like in the notification on my in like your notification center. So it would be like you received a payment, and then underneath it with the message, there would be like your template injection. Huh. And so, so, um, so we we were poking at it. We were trying to figure out where where it was, and it turns out yeah, it was a server side template injection SSTI. Oh, nice. And uh, I actually found it today. It was apparently it was a CVE, uh, not one that we found, oh, but. Really? It was one from a little bit earlier that I hadn't even heard of. So um, I guess they must have figured this out after the fact because I don't think we ever actually mentioned it in the report that it was a CVE. But we were able to get local file inclusion. We were able oh, to like, nice, read, read Etsy password off of the, um, off the server. And um, yeah, it was super dope. We got 26 grand for it. No it way, bug. dude. You guys yeah. made so much more money than that, that <laughs> transfer from person to person. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah no kidding. Um, yeah. And we, we actually, we pulled in Andre for, uh, for like the final, final push because he was helping us exploit the, the SSTI. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like I said, after, afterwards, I was just pulling up this bug and sure enough, they have it linked to a CVE. It's CVE 2020-12668. And it's- 12668? Yep. And it's in- uh, Jin Java before ah. 2.5.4. Um, it allowed you to inject uh, into the template and load arbitrary Java methods passing into the context. And that's how we popped it. I, I don't, again, I don't think we actually knew that it was a CVE. We kind of just built our own payload out of that, out of pure exploration. So yeah, um, yeah super, super dope bug. It's that's one of those instances sick, where like definitely was not looking for <laughs> a vulnerability or anything. It just sort of 
showed itself out of nowhere and one of those really cool exploit scenarios yeah i totally love that man you know like you whenever you find an opportunity to hack on a product that you actually use there's so much more understanding of the threat model of the attack vectors of oh my gosh look at that (laughs) you just say you just sent me the payload that's crazy that's so funny um yeah, no, but there's so many, there's so many like you know different ways that you know the the application better than just a, a tester, right? So I'm a bit, and I told this to the people I'm working with on the World Cup as well. Like, you know, it, if you can go after uh, of the targets that we've got, if you have any relation to any of the pieces of the of the the target, you should go after that because you understand that application so much better. You understand the use cases. You understand the, the fringe functionality. Um, as a user, you have a totally different perspective. And that really should be one of, the, one of the top priorities of an application tester, I believe, is to fully understand the user and what kind of things that they're going to be doing, what kind of things they're going to be prioritizing, and try to you know, align yourself with that as much as you possibly can. Um, that, will, that will definitely lead to some cool bugs like you guys found here. So. That's yeah, that's yeah. sick, man. Congrats. Yeah, it was actually paid as a crit too, which is which is super wild. So Dude, crit okay, on so okay, 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 okay. So we're going we're going back to the CVS thing here for a second. Um, why do people think LFIs should or LFDs? Let me let me be clear. LFDs. Why do people think LFDs should be highs? I feel like instead that of is, a crit. Yeah, dude. I think that's such a crit bug. Like, I mean, you basically have source code access, right? Yeah. It's like. Uh, I don't know. Like, uh, I think it's one of those cases where maybe you get locked into CVSS or yeah. I don't really. Well, know. it was PayPal, right? So they do lock it into CVSS, but but they gave it. They gave you a crit anyway. But I, I guess SSDI, you're actually running code on the server, so that's that's different. That's true. I'll actually tell you. Okay, so here's yeah. here's the CVSS calculation: attack vector network, attack okay. complexity low, privileges okay, well, required on, on, low. Let me let me get the calculator up. Okay, so okay. N- network. Okay. Uh, attack complexity low. Okay. Yep. No Privileges attack. required low. Okay. So they, d- Us- they give you low on that. No none. That's interesting. Yep. L- user interaction l- none. Okay. Scope change. Absolutely. Confidential confidentiality high. Of course. Integrity high. Yep. Availability none. Availability none. Okay. So that puts you at a nine six. Yep. Nice dude. Yeah. No. That that makes a lot of sense. I would say, I think it should be a ten. Because I don't think privilege required. Well, actually, let me. I take that. Mm, it's like, it's what stops little, me from creating a PayPal account? Okay, and sending, you, you know to, what I mean? Yeah, but you have to put money on it. So you're going to have to link th- a bank account yeah, to but it. We but we were testing with one cent. It's like. <laughs> oh, were you really? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, but here's the other thing. You actually. Hmm, can you receive money on PayPal if you've not added a payment method if someone sends it to you? Yeah, because it just goes into your PayPal balance. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean that that should totally be feasible to build a, a you know you know pay someone in Bitcoin get it get sent to your PayPal account and then you know exploit it that way. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I disagree with the PR PRL on that. And um, the other metric is that PayPal does um, you know get twenty bucks to sign up or that was their whole gimmick actually back in the day when they first started was like if you sign up we'll give you ten bucks for free which That's was a brilliant marketing gimmick by the way legendary. Um, but yeah, free money. If you sign up yeah. <laughs> the Uber method, uh, not as much it. money as you, you're getting after that, but so. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah. It's funny. Cause you mentioned, um, you were, you were saying like, it should, you should really focus like as if you're the user on like those yeah. high impact areas. Yeah. And like, I think that's how as an, as like a hacker, you should really view severity, right? Yeah. Think about it from the company perspective. Think mm-hmm. about it from the impact mm-hmm. scenario. Again, like if I'm 
Uber, what are the things I care about the most? User data, mm. pri- like trip data, uh, yep. location data, location. Like all, right? All these types of things. So as an attacker, what should I be focusing on? User data, location data, sensitive data, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's tempting too because a lot of times I, well, and, and it's also from the company's perspective, it's also a little bit interesting because sometimes the employees aren't as aligned with, or the threat model isn't as aligned with the business's use cases either because <laughs> there have been some, some times when I've been like, hey, Literally, this bug that I found invalidates your whole business model. <laughs> like, there is no business model with this bug. Like, you make no money, right? Um, but that, you know, it gets put. It gets put as a low or a medium. Put that um, as a five point three. Yeah, that, that <laughs> says low to me. <laughs> um, and you know. Yeah, so I think there's... I know I you had un- unfiltered access to our admin panel. Yeah, but but, <laughs> but the CVSS put this as a medium. <laughs> User interaction really, really required. Um, <laughs> no, okay. Um, yeah, so, all right. We're done with CVSS. CVSS, yeah, CVSS. we love you. CVSS, we hate you. Um, which one is it? You'll never really know. Yeah, um, both. <laughs> yeah. Joel, you want to actually, why don't you hit your second report re- right away as well? Um, we're going to talk a little bit now about web cache deception because we, we told you guys on the podcast that we would be doing that. Um, uh, in the future. And so we've got three reports today that we're going to talk, talk through. I don't know. My two are kind of similar, so I'm not sure I'll do all the way through both of them, but, um, yeah, why don't you drop that one, uh, from a while back? Yeah, sure. So this was, um, from a couple of years ago, I think it was at maybe a live hacking event. I, yeah, it was. Yeah. I think it was a live hacking event. I was working with, uh, well, we were actually kind of all working together. We were yeah. the big disturbance team. Um, yeah. but Andre and I were the ones who were primarily working on this specific bug. And we found uh, we found an endpoint that was basically doing caching incorrectly. So one of the API endpoints on TechCrunch uh, allowed you to um, hit it with like the specific parameter that would change how it was being cached. And so as a result, we could actually cache it for one user, and it had this sensitive token in there. Um, and then you could hit it from somebody else's you know URL within the same data center. Mm. So we would hit one endpoint get to cache this user's token and then we would take that cached url with like a unique parameter attached to it so that we'd know exactly what it is and then we would load it within an iframe we'd pull that token out and then we could use it to pull you know pii we we had um their full address i think we had some credit card information um wow but yeah it it was really cool it was actually a high um and i think that was probably because uh, there were some limiting factors where basically, mm. like I talked about, it needed to be sort of within the same like data center slash location. So sure. for this event, it was, you know, we were geolocated in the same area. So we were testing from the same servers. So it popped easily for us. But I think mm-hmm. if you were somewhere else, you would probably have to hop on a VPN. But like, shouldn't have, shouldn't have put that in the report, man. <laughs> you know, everyone was going to be in the SF area. So that's true. That's true. <laughs> This this live hacking event, man, because uh, l- like like you said, you know, we were we were both there, you know, seeing these reports come in from OXACB, um, and this was the event that opened my eyes to web cache deception because there were like three three really really impactful bugs at this event from Andre and you um, uh, on web cache deception, um, and then so I, I I left that event with one takeaway of like I need to know how to do this bug, and it's super easy. Um, so definitely, you know, keep an eye, an eye out for that. Um, so let me just, let me just refresh it for the, for the viewers here and you can correct me if I got anything wrong. Sure. 
So you create a malicious page. When the user goes to that page, you craft a URL, um, and then you send that, you make the victims, you force browse that in the victim's browser. Um, what will then happen is the victim's cookies will be used to generate that dynamic response. And because of the way that you encoded something in the URL, um, in this case, what was it? Did you put anything? Oh, you didn't even really have to put anything in there, did you? You didn't have to put, like a lot of times you'll have to put like .jpg or something like that in the, yeah, at the no, end of the URL. You didn't even have to do that in this scenario. Um, oh, the, the cache prevention query parameter. That's, that's, that's what it was. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, you set up this cache prevention uh, query parameter, you get that value. And then when the page is dynamically, you know, generated, it gets sent back to the, to the victim and it gets cached on the edge server, right? So now that cached server, if you hit that exact URL from any, you know, uh, IP address in the San Francisco area or whatever, then it will load that user's page response, the response that was shown to the user in their session with their cookies to you without any cookies or anything like that. Yep. Is that, is yep. that right? Yep, exactly. Solid. And then from there, you would take that leaked data and do something malicious with it and yep. you know, use it to like fetch. Yeah, exactly. PII. Awesome, dude. Yeah. No, uh, standard web, web cache poisoning. Actually, it's a little bit, this one's a little bit easier than the normal because you don't even have to do any tricky stuff. Yeah, um, it's really just like get them to cache this thing and that's it. Solid. I, I've got I've got one that kind of takes it takes a little bit of a different approach to it. So this was a government target that I was working on, um, and uh, somewhere in the application. And so I will I will note as well. You guys have to look when you're looking for this. You're looking for the a lot of times what you'll be looking for is the age header in the response, which shows how old this page is, and something like a cache hit, or or you know a cache miss, anything but a cache dynamic, right? Yep. Um, and if you can see that, and it's on an asset that contains user, and that page contains user information, then you've got a web cache deception vulnerability here. Yep. Um, so as I'm looking around in applications, one of the things I always map out is um, where in the application this caching is occurring. Because sometimes they'll set specific paths, like, okay, you know, slash assets is always going to cache anything that ends in JavaScript or everything that ends in JS, right? So then, you know, I might hit a URL that's like assets um, slash dot dot semicolon slash user or slash API slash user slash info, right? Uh, and then, you know, dot JSON or, or dot JS or something like that. And then that will trick the front end system or the front end, um, just to be clear, the front end proxy, so the caching server, um, into caching that, that asset. And that's kind of what happened here. This was a technique that I learned from Andre as well. Um, is that at the end of, and this actually happens a lot in ASPX sites, I don't know why, but when you're dealing with an ASPX application, I see it quite often. After you put the endpoint, you know, um, whatever dot uh, ASPX, you put a percent uh, or a URL encoded um, question mark, so percent three F. Hmm. And then you put, um, you know, a random string and then the caching uh, extension. So if you're going to, you know, it could be a JS, could be a, a PNG, could be CSS. It depends on their configuration. That's something you've got to find out in the application. Then if you do see that come back with a, um, a cache miss or a cache hit, then, um, you know, you've got a vulnerability there and you can just generate a random string, throw it in the URL, force a victim to go to that, and then visit that same URL from an unauthenticated perspective as the attacker and pull back that information. So that's, that's what I had here. 
the one I, reason I wanted to highlight it is because of that percent %3f piece, putting that in the URL, tricking the URL into thinking that the actual path ended in .js rather than, yeah. um, you know, .aspx, which w what it was originally. Yeah, that's a really cool one. I mean, like you mentioned, caching is often used for assets, right? It's for like yeah. JavaScript, images, the types of stuff that you don't want to be reloading, right? Yeah, it's like it's supposed to be cached, right? Mm -hmm. And if they make a mistake and they're caching user data in some sense, whether that be a token or anything that's like specific, user specific, that's not like a generic asset, like that's definitely a huge risk for um, web cache deception and web cache poisoning where... Yeah. Yeah, and, and so the or, the origin of all this, the origin of the problem with this is it's caching, like you're saying, you know, content types essentially that it shouldn't be, right? Right. So, um, you know, most of the time, the reason why this configuration occurs is because the caching server is making a caching decision based off of the URL rather than uh, based off of the response content type. Right. Um, and so that's that's definitely, you know, if you can find a way to validate that, um, you know, changing, even if you can get an HTML page to cache anywhere, you know, um, that, that's a, that's a big, that's a big red flag and seeing yeah. if you can, you know, try to trick the server into caching the wrong HTML page. Yeah. Now the one thing I will say, cause I feel like semi obligated to mention this. Yeah. If you're doing this sort of testing, you make sure that you're putting like a random URL parameter or yeah. something on the end because if you Thank accidentally you poison if you accidentally poison a production website using just like a regular URL that's yeah. used in production, you're gonna start leaking real people's data and that's not good. Your program's not gonna be happy. So if yeah. you see something that's like using caching and you're like, I think I could probably poison this Put like question mark a a a a a or something at the end, right? Like make it a unique URL so that if it does cache, you can still test it with your like question mark a a a a a at the end. But just make sure that you're not using like the standard URL because you're gonna get some angry program emails probably. Oh yeah, for sure. And I think cache is one of those things like DNS where it's like, okay, is it <laughs> DNS? No, it's cache then for sure. Yeah. Um, and so there's definitely ways to mess that up a lot, and it's definitely possible. Um, I actually will shout out Loom, which is a company I use, yep. by the way. I really like Loom. Um, but they, they had a caching problem recently, and it caused a whole security incident, right? Because I think people were getting... Yeah, we talked about this last week, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's, that's, uh, that's you know another place where you can see that in, in place. And if you don't test responsibly, you could cause that problem for <laughs> these giant I've, companies. I've so. seen it happen time and time again. Yeah. It is, uh, it's kind of a really gnarly situation to put yourself in so just you know be careful when you're when you're doing your testing and either don't test on prod or test very safely on prod you know yeah for sure um i have one other one i'm looking at it right now i'm not even sure whether it's worth diving into to be perfectly honest because it's so similar well you know i'll just i'll just walk through it real quick so this is on sure. an airline company um this one's a little bit different because uh, instead of having the percent 3f at the end like i did last time which kind of tricked it into um caching caching it because it, it appeared to the edge server the caching server that the um uh the file type was uh javascript or whatever in this scenario i actually just added on to the end of the url like it was index.aspx slash render reader poc dash random mm. integer dot png right nice and and so then you know i would generate a page that would have this random integer 
and it would force the user to go to that page. The response would be cached. Um, so there's lots of ways you can approach this. Um, just to you know, take it away to summarize it. You know, like you said, if there's like a caching parameter in there, that's a good indicator that there may be some weird caching issues. You know, in the URL, um, the percent three F to trick it the path. They could be caching based off of different um, directories in the in the application, and they also could just be caching um, by just you know they don't care if you have anything random at the end of the URL in the path. So you could just add on slash slash whatever dot png and get a cache that way so those are some methods to try out yeah 100 percent. cool uh real quick you want to talk about um world cup and maybe yeah. the upcoming event yeah for sure man uh yeah that's right upcoming event i'll uh, i'll skip right to that one so we got both joel and i both got invite for uh can we say i think we can say location oh uh, yeah it's for la which i'm excited about because i have never been to la um so yeah. that's going to be fun. We are going to be dealing with some hardware components, which I think we can also say. Yeah. Um, so that should be lots of fun. Really Pretty looking dope. forward to it. I mean, it's been only a couple of months since we last did some dope hardware hacking bugs yeah, on man. this same target, actually. It's about time, so um, I think it's going to be cool. Hopefully it's some new devices and some new attack surface for us to poke at. Um, I imagine we'll be getting that stuff pretty soon. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to see you in LA. I haven't been to a, an event in person in a long time because yeah, of just man, scheduling be and stuff. And and even this one, I'm, I'm, I'm flying by the seat of my pants to Dude. different flights and stuff, but I'm, yeah. I'm going to make it work. I'm so glad. I'm so glad you said you could make it. You know, I, you said it was going to be real close and then, yeah, that's, that's going to be awesome, man. Yeah, I got to be on the other side of the country the day after the event, but I'm, I'm going to take a red eye and make it happen. Oh, my gosh. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. All right, we'll talk more about that off air. I, I got to get the details on that. Um, yeah, World Cup, how's it going for you, man? It's been it's been pretty good. Um, so I've been spending some time with a couple of our team members. Mm -hmm. I don't know if we can say who's on the team, but yeah, I'll just say some of our team keep members. Yeah, we yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, we've been, we've been poking at some of the targets. So for those who don't know, um, I think we can say who the targets are, right? So yeah, they're public. Yeah. Stripe, OpenSea, Yahoo, Epic Games, and Shopify, all very large, big programs, great bounties and everything. Um, super challenging, super hardened targets, but, uh, I know our team has already found a bunch of really cool stuff from you <laughs> specifically. <laughs> um, and, uh, we've been, we've been poking hard to try and find some really really dope bugs on some of those other targets um but uh, you know it's all about managing time and and trying to spend your time and hacking uh, energy efficiently you know what yeah. I mean? yeah for sure man i actually just got a message during the podcast that they fixed the bug already you know under 24 hours wow so that's uh, if that impressive. tells you how severe it is yeah <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm excited i'm excited for that one man it's the only bug i've got so far though so you know nothing too crazy as a as of yet but i think we'll i think we'll get there and i know um some of the guys on our team have some really solid leads um got themselves uh, access to some let's just say some advantageous scope um and so i think i think i think we'll find some really good stuff there yeah yeah it should be really cool so hoping to see uh, i hope they do some sort of like recap or something afterwards yeah me to too. like talk about everything that happened yeah for sure we'll definitely keep uh keep everybody in the loop about the world cup happenings um you know it's it's been a really fun event so far to work with some of the newer hackers as well um so for any of you that are looking to get into the bug bounty space um definitely feel free to apply next year uh when they when they do the world cup it's definitely a great great learning experience for everyone involved
Yeah. I know it's a little weird for like the US because we're such a massive, massive country, but I can imagine for the smaller countries getting connected with other people who are like hackers within your region is like pretty cool and and pretty awesome to get to know people because like I mean, you could get connected with another USA hacker like me and Reiner. And we're like yeah. thousands of miles we apart. Are. So it's like, you know, yeah. it's not exactly like, oh, I'll just drive an hour and, you know, hang out. We can do some hacking. Yeah, locally. Not but yet, maybe man. if you're in, Until yeah, maybe you get your ass over to <laughs> Virginia soon, soon. All right, man. Cool. I need I think the Fed that's... to lower the interest rates first. <laughs> yeah, dude. For serious. Well. Wow. This is a bug bounty podcast. I'm not. Oh, yeah, my you bad. almost sorry, just sorry. triggered me, Joel, about to start talking I'm, about I'm the interest rates. In. But we'll save you, the. You, we'll you save can the nerd ship. bait me, nerd snipe me, but I can finance snipe you. There, there, there you go. <laughs> nice, nice, cool. I think that's all I got. Is that a wrap? That's it for me. All right, peace. Peace.